waves in the Finiverse. Live from Singapore Fintech Festival. And that pure proof of stake model, it's based on randomness. So it allows us to be secure and decentralized and scalable at the same time. And it's got a very light carbon footprint. We get a final settlement in 3.9 seconds right now. And that means that at 3.9 seconds, your transaction is final and can't be reversed. And the chain can never fork. It's not that it doesn't fork, it's it can't fork. I would say our fastest growing geography is definitely India. I mean, it is crazy how many wallet openings we can see how, where wallets are open. And we have a lot of traction in Nigeria as well, of course. Welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. I'm Walter Jennings, the host of a podcast brought to you by Finiverse. We're talking with the wave makers that are creating ripples, waves, and tsunamis across finance, crypto, fintech, Web3, and beyond. Listen weekly to hear the change makers talk firsthand about their experiences in this dynamic industry. Welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. I'm your host, Walter Jennings, and I'm excited to be joined in the booth today by Stacey Warden, the CEO of Algorand Foundation. Welcome, Stacey. I'm so happy to be here. Now, uh, Stacey, for those who don't know their blockchain, can you introduce us to Algorand? Sure. Algorand was invented by a Turing Award winner, uh, MIT professor in computer science named Silvio Macaulay. Silvio actually invented a number of the primitives in cryptography that the whole ecosystem uses, particularly zero-knowledge proofs and verifiable random functions. And he watched the space develop from uh, Bitcoin to Ethereum on, and he thought to himself, I could probably do a better job. And so in 2017, he uh, raised some money the old-fashioned way and was able to do so quite easily because of his name and the quality of his senior team. And we went live in June of 2019. And uh, yeah, here we are, the Algorand blockchain. Now, Stacey, um, I understand from my conversations with other blockchains that uh, there's a unique business model where this is a foundation. Can you help us understand why the blockchains are held by a uh, a not-for-profit or a foundation? Oh, sure, sure. So uh, Algorand Technologies or Algorand Inc., they are filled with cryptographers and software engineers and architects. And that is um, located in Boston and they run the tech and they keep building the protocol. And they have a, a protocol upgrade list. You know, as long as your arm, we are now at 6,000 transactions per second. They're going to go to 10,000 transactions per second. They're working on... Um, uh, increase, uh, decreasing the latency of the blocks, all of that kind of thing. Super like hardcore tech. The foundation, though, runs the ecosystem, the community, the um, the tokenomics, and it's very important that those two things are separated. Uh, not that we would ever do this, but you don't want your developers, you know, absconding with all of the funds or doing a rug pull or something like that. So it's for safety reasons. So we are we operate we're friendly with each other, of course, but we operate very much on an arm's length basis. They're based in the United States. We're based in Singapore. And um, in a word, I like to say the foundation is in charge of everything that's fun. And Algorand Technologies is in charge of everything that's hard. So Okay. Now, um, earlier in blockchain, we'd heard so much about 
proof of work and that being a, a high carbon emission technology. Uh, yet I, Algorand operates under a different model. Could you introduce us to that and how you overcame the carbon issue? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. So, uh, you know, the two sentences on kind of blockchain 101 is that you've got to get these computers that don't know each other, that don't trust each other, some of them may be evil, to agree on the order of transactions. And what is that consensus mechanism among them that makes them cooperate together to agree on this order of transactions? And Satoshi Nakamoto is a genius because he came up with this idea of proof of work. Whoever does the most work wins a kind of a race. They get to append the next block and they're paid for doing so. That's a very interesting model. But as you noted, it's an arms race. It's inherent to the, to the model that it uses a lot of energy. So then others came along and they said, okay, well, let's use a proof of stake model that, you know, that will not use the, uh, the energy. And also it is a bit more fair because whoever has the biggest stake will, you know, get paid to append the next block. The problem with that, though, is that it is inherently um, unequal. The rich get richer. You know, if you have the biggest stake, you get paid, you get richer. And it's also not very secure because it's like, who are you going to attack? Like, attack that guy with a big stake, you know? So what Silvio did is he came up with a consensus mechanism called pure proof of stake. And that pure proof of stake model allows us to be secure. It's based on... It's based on randomness. So it allows us to be secure and decentralized and scalable at the same time. And it's got a very light carbon footprint. And the carbon footprint is light because you can run all of the participation nodes. You can run off of a laptop, a high performing laptop, but you can run off. So it's basically kind of the power of a couple of hundred, you know, up to a thousand, say, laptops. And, you know, that's about seven or eight houses, you know, per year. It's nothing. Right. So you've um, managed to dramatically curtail carbon emissions. Right. And, you know, we also buy carbon offsets with our transaction fees for any carbon that we do emit. So we are always carbon negative as a blockchain. Oh, that's an amazing um, uh, achievement. Congratulations. And thank you. Yeah. You know, and of course, because we're a blockchain, we have to do this in a fancy blockchain way. So we use smart contracts to make sure that we do that. I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> now, um Amongst blockchains, what use cases are is Algorand best for, uh, and how do people use it, and what are the, uh, where does it really hum? Yeah, you know, we are, I would say, capable of scale, and probably uniquely capable of scale in a decentralized way, right? So, there's a couple of things about that. One is that we can now do, as I said, six thousand transactions per second we get a final settlement in 3.9 seconds right now. And that means that at 3.9 seconds, your transaction is final and can't be reversed. And the chain can never fork. It's not that it doesn't fork, it, it's, it can't fork. We have never been down for one second since we went live and we have sub-penny uh, transactions fees. Our transaction fees are so low that you can't even notice. So that lends itself to a couple of obvious things. First of all, our NFT um, marketplace is just growing like crazy because if you have low priced items, you can't pay high gas fees. So artists and musicians that, you know, they need subpenny transaction fees. So we tend to and also they tend to care very much about the environment. So we are really attracting a lot of attention there. And I think the, the next thing, because we can scale is we can actually try to go after some of that payments business. And we haven't um, done 
a big payments play yet, but it's there. We are working, for example, with some disaster relief payments organizations in the United States. There's some crazy stories about how that works now. And we, you know, if you put that on chain, it can be automated. It can be much better for the people whose houses have just been flooded. It could be much better for understanding that there's no kind of fraud going on. These kinds of things are very good on the blockchain. Yeah, no low cost transactions are are very desirable. I, I, I loved hearing a story of one grandmother who had to pay $135 gas fees for their grandchild's art project. <laughs> You know, our head of our head of DeFi, who's really, uh, you know, he's a core OG DeFi kind of, I mean, um, a Web3 guy and NFTs. He said he spent $9,000 on Ethereum just on gas fees, not buying NFTs, but just on the gas fees. Great use case of NFTs for pennies versus thousands of dollars. Now, um, you recently um, became the official blockchain for FIFA. Uh <laughs> What was it that made FIFA choose Algorand as its official blockchain? Well, you know, um, a lot of companies and crypto companies, they pay to have their name uh, on the inside of the stadium or on the billboard or, or whatnot. We don't actually do any partnerships where there is not a use case where some, the blockchain is being used, where we, are, where we are not a technical partner with the partnership. Uh, so that's uh, number one. And what happened is FIFA understood that they needed to somehow do something with this blockchain thing. And they thought about uh, NFTs for players, of course. They thought maybe about something around secondary ticket sales, perhaps, maybe uh, player trading eventually, but they wanted to start with the NFT marketplace. And so they actually called in a consultant and said, you know, we're FIFA, we have a very big name, we have a very big uh, reputation, we can't mess this up. And so they hired a consultant who did a survey of all of the layer one blockchains, and he told them, you have to go with Algorand. Oh, that's a fantastic endorsement. Now, um, Stacey, how do you attract developers to the chain? Because there's uh, there are a few out there. And, and how do you build out the ecosystem to make Algorand much more widely used? You know, that's a very good question. And I think one of the um, I kind of call it a bit of a deal with the devil that Silvio made in the beginning, which was that he found that uh, Solidity, just frankly, was not a good enough language. It's the kind of language that you might write Facebook in, but it's not the kind of, the, the language, our language is just called Teal, is the kind of language that you can fly airplanes in. It's not very, it doesn't let you make mistakes. And so as a result, we couldn't just import, you know, a couple of thousand Solidity developers from Ethereum. We had to attract developers from the beginning. And this is part of the reason maybe we were off to a little bit of a slower start when we started, because we had to convince uh, developers to learn this new language. And right now, I will say my top three priorities are developers, developers, and developers. And our new CTO, John Woods, is determined to make developer tools his number one priority. We're going to be launching a new developer tool suite in January or maybe February, but we think January. And we are having a concierge, he, he talks about this constantly, a concierge level development rela developer relations experience so really just very white glove to help developers and they are they are coming i mean we just see so much more the anecdotal evidence in our discord and our our you know we just keep having to hire more devrel people so we're getting a lot of interest and then the, the third piece to that is developer education and so we are launching a whole new suite of developer education tools and you know revamping our whole developer education our our zero to hero experience so yeah, lots of lots of good stuff coming that way for sure. Well, I'm glad I asked about developers. <laughs> <laughs>
From innovators to investors, get inside the minds of the industry's top leaders in finance, fintech, crypto, Web3 and beyond. Get ready to ride the next wave. This is Waves in the Finiverse, the podcast. Live from Singapore Fintech Festival. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Algorand and every blockchain is truly global without any single center uh, being a distributed ledger technology. What markets, though, are you finding the, the, the fastest adoption of Algorand? Are there key geographies where you're hotter than others? You know, we have, uh, I would say our fastest growing geography is definitely India. I mean, it is crazy how many wallet openings we can see how, where wallets are open. And we have a lot of traction in Nigeria as well, of course. Of course, the bigger markets are, are going to always be our bigger markets. But India is just growing like crazy. And we've got a new um, Algo Bharat um, uh, team in India. And they are holding, they're working with universities. They're holding all kinds of hackathons. They're, they're, we're going to have an accelerator in India next year. And of, as you know, uh, the developer community in India is quite strong. And so we are we're pretty excited about that, I would say. You know, along with your um, green credentials, uh, a lot of use cases for blockchain are helping those that are, are unbanked or, or lack identity. Uh, if you can't if you don't have a birth certificate, how do you get a bank account and a passport? Uh, tell me, uh, in some of these markets where you're seeing growth, it, it like crypto had been where in some of those uh, developing countries that need these kind of tools. Uh, so is that one of the reasons you're seeing great growth in? Well, I will say it is also a very important reason why I came to the Algorand Foundation. This has been a passion of mine all of my life, financial inclusion, access to capital, making sure that the 1.7 billion people on this planet that don't have access to financial services of any kind. Could you imagine living your life without that? And so, yes, you're absolutely right. We do. We care very much about identity. We've got two identity plays building on Algorand. One, to answer your question, actually, is their base. This team is based in Zimbabwe. And they are they run a, an application called Flex ID, which I, I want to give a little shout out to these guys. And they are trying to solve the identity problem in Africa. It's pretty exciting stuff, actually. Yeah, no, I think it's really a revolutionary to have these technologies and tools that um, may have been developed in the first world, but are certainly solving some real pain points in, uh, around the world. Right. I mean, two, two kinds of pain points, I would say, with respect to identity, because I think you really put your finger on it. Identity is fundamental, but there's two aspects to it. One is that you don't have an identity, so you need to marshal your identity from different pieces of evidence that you've done things. So that's one piece. The second piece, though, is what part of your identity do you want to share and do you need to share? So if I have a, uh, so if I go, I'm not young enough to have this problem anymore, but if I'm a young woman and I want to go to a bar, it would be important for me to be able to show that bartender that I'm old enough to drink in that bar. But why do I have to show that bartender where I live? You know, this is, this does not seem particularly safe to me, right? And so the idea that you can prove and show the important parts of your identity without having to reveal your entire identity is also a, a very much a breakthrough for blockchain technology. Oh, well, uh, thank you for that killer application, although it's been a while since anyone <laughs> has asked me if I'm a legal <laughs> drinking me too, age. Me too. This is not a, this is not a personal uh, need, I will say. But Now, for those of you listening to us here at Singapore Fintech Festival, I'm in the booth with Stacey Warden, the CEO of Algorand Foundation, one of the world's fastest growing blockchains. 
Stacey, what are the things that keep you up at night? I think what keeps me up at night is making sure that the crypto ecosystem more broadly lives up to the hype. You know, we have spent a number of years saying that blockchain can be a solution to real world problems. And I will say that as an ecosystem, we're still in the nascent stage of delivering on those promises. And for me, it's really about these, these, you know, I care very much, as I've said before, about financial inclusion, about helping the world's poor, about helping the disenfranchised. And I guess I worry about that at night the way I've been worrying about that for the last 20 years of my professional career, honestly. One thing that I do not worry about, though, is the Algorand technology, because it has never gone down for a second. <laughs> and it is so performant. So thankfully, I don't have to worry about that. Now, Stacey, I do have to ask you uh, about what attracted you to Algorand Foundation, because when I look through your biography, you've worked for the U.S. Treasury Department. You ran Nasdaq's uh, market for microcap companies. You'd been with J.P. Morgan running their public sector practice for EMEA and most recently global market development practice at Milken Institute. So these all seem like real heavyweight tradfi, uh, traditional finance roles. And uh, suddenly you're uh, in blockchain. What happened? You know, I think I have a unique uh, falling down the rabbit hole story uh, because I ran at the Milken Institute a, first of all, I was always disappointed by traditional finance and its approach to financial inclusion. But I was at the Milken Institute and I did a series for the press in the United States uh, for kind of financial markets training. And they requested that I do a session on this Bitcoin thing. This was in 2013. And so I'm unique, I think, in that I had to learn about it in order to teach it, you know, two weeks later. So I locked myself in my and I remember my house was being renovated. I was living in this like tiny little apartment while they were doing this renovation. And I locked myself in there for like six days trying to figure out what this was. What was this proof of work? And I emerge, as I like to say, you know, six pizzas later and in love with this idea of, of, of the Bitcoin blockchain. And, you know, it was too, for the things that I cared about, it was too early and Bitcoin's not quite fit for purposes. We've, you know, subsequently realized, but I was hooked from then. And, uh, and it, you know, it was always a bit of a side hustle and yep. it just gets bigger and bigger and you, and you can't, you know, you can't uh, keep up with it unless you, do it full time. You either have to, you know, got to be in it or you're not in it. Like with all things, right? You have to commit. And I was headhunted to be on the board of the Algorand Foundation. And I am ashamed to say that I didn't really know what it, I was already sitting on the board of the Global Blockchain Business Council. I was, I was in the space and I had kind of vaguely heard about it, but I didn't know what it was. And then when I, uh, you know, did some research because you're not going to join a board and lend your name and your reputation, right? Not. So you've got to do that same deep dive. And I had that same feeling that I did in 2013, like, ah, this is the real thing. This is the real deal. And um, oh, yeah, so I joined the board and then they made me the CEO this year. Well, and um, too bad back in 2013, you didn't tokenize your curriculum. <laughs> uh, I see <laughs> the ability now for uh, tokenization of education, providing rewards to educators. There are so many potential use cases. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I also am quite interested in the tokenization of larger financial assets because this brings liquidity to markets and it mm. allows retail people to participate. So how rich do you have to be to own a rental property, right, that can just provide you rental income? You've got to be pretty rich because you've got to be able to buy that property and you've got to be able to find renters and you have to have lawyers and all of that. But if you can tokenize that, if somebody does that and splits it into, you know, 100 or 1,000 different slices, then 
anybody can have rental income, right? This is part of the magic of, of the blockchain. Yeah, no, and uh, when people first started talking about security token offerings, people were confusing it with an IPO. I think there are serious use cases for the public equity markets, and that certainly propels companies to the top of the NASDAQ. But also then tokenization is different. It's used for completely different use cases. You can't make an IPO with your rental market, uh, with the rental unit. So yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's kind of an NFT. It's not a piece of art. It talks to the real world, but it's very much a unique asset in a very, very micro form. And when you have a micro form of assets, liquidity improves and more people can participate. Now, Stacey, we're coming, uh, we're speaking to you now at Singapore FinTech Festival. Um, what are you seeing, hearing during this event that intrigues and interests you? Any uh, new technologies, not Algorand Foundation related though? <laughs> okay, well, I did have the opportunity to sit on the Greenest Blockchain panel and that was really good fun. But I also had the opportunity to moderate the keynote uh, speeches of Stuart uh, Haber and um, Balaji Srinivasan. And so I think I will pick Balaji Srinivasan and his idea of the network state and the idea that in a, in a networked way, we can kind of create even new countries of like-minded people and associations that can um, form communities based on interests in things and, and like-mindedness. And maybe, you know, this is the crazy part about what he what he envisions maybe they can actually become a kind of a country, a network state country that could have UN recognition and the like. I mean, it's so, as is his nature, it's very bleeding edge. And uh, I thought that was just amazing to be able to have a conversation with him on the main stage about that. Well, I think in today's world of uh, crazy geopolitics, finding a nation of like-minded people sounds like a, a good opportunity. Yeah, 100%. Okay, well, Stacey, look, we like to end our show with a segment we call Tracks in the Finiverse. And so we ask people what music powers their journey through their role. Oh, I see. Uh, you know what? I, I think I'll pick the um, very famous top 40 hit, The Best Tech Will Always Win in Blockchain. I, you know that, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's a real it's, it's, <laughs> it's I the one know. I play every morning when I get up in the morning. <laughs> Um, but if you want something that maybe more people have heard of, you know, I guess I would say, I don't know, what would get me up? Uh, can't stop thinking about tomorrow, maybe just to show my my age and my roots. Well, there you go. We'll let our listeners join you. It's a great song. And uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Waves in the Finiverse. Walter, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. waves in the finiverse why not hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode if you're listening on apple podcasts then please leave us a review and a five-star rating thanks for listening